Every day, we face challenging circumstances that are accompanied by difficult decisions. We have the choice to respond by faith, or we can let doubt dictate our decision-making. And the response we choose determines the type of seed we sow, a seed of fear or a seed of faith. The seed we sow determines the fruit we produce, and the fruit produced reflects the person we are. When we react in our own strength, we plant unhealthy seeds that produce fruits of the sinful nature. Bitterness, misery, worry, and frustration. Harshness, evil, dishonesty, violence, and indulgence. These choices prevent us from becoming the person God created us to be and growing in our relationship with Him. When we choose to trust God, we plant seeds that open our hearts to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We reflect the image of Christ to the world and experience the very nature of God in our lives. Though we do not have the power to produce this good fruit, we do have the choice to plant good seed. A seed of fear or a seed of faith? What seeds will you sow? So this last Friday, there was a group from this community of faith and others throughout the city that gathered together. And one of the things we did is we listened to an interview with a man named Tyler Perry. And uh, you may know Tyler Perry from the movies that he's produced. That's Tyler as Tyler and Tyler as Medea. And he is a, uh, an amazing creative artist, a... a uh, a movie director, a producer, a writer, and he's a follower of Jesus. In the interview, the interviewer asked him to talk a little bit about his history, and, and he shared very candidly that he grew up in a home where the father was an alcoholic and he abused the family. The follow-up question to that then was, how did you make it from there to here? And in that conversation, some of the things he said was th were these words. The amount of energy it took to go through that betrayal, abuse, and hurt, that is the amount it will take for you to forgive the person who hurt you. He said, even as a follower of Jesus, it's just not that simple to just say to someone who's hurt you deeply, okay, I forgive you, and then it's over. He said, it takes the most, the same amount of energy that you use to survive in that process to now forgive. He then said this, the anger at the person, and in my case, my father, is the fuel that moves you along in your life. He said, I, something had to change because, because the fuel in my life was my anger towards my father. I would say to my father, in, in essence, in my life, you said I'd never amount to, something, to anything. Well, here you go. Look at this. You tried to hold me down, but look at, look at this. Forgiveness is, a scare, is scary because you give up the hope of your past ever being any different, but it is the most freeing thing you can ever do for yourself. The person you have not forgiven is going about life most of the time not thinking about you. They do not deserve to have that kind of power over you. 
He said that when you come to this place of forgiveness, you have to let go of the past knowing that you can do nothing to change what has been. And he said when it comes to the future, now the fuel, that which fuels me, has to change. Same idea, same concept in the first century by Paul the Apostle to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians, the fifth, the fifth chapter, he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. Our personal worlds, if we could tell our stories, our personal worlds have been marked by bitterness, misery, worry, frustration, harshness, evil, dishonesty, violence, and indulgence, the things that Paul would call the works of the flesh, the works of the humanity that's been corrupted within us. And this is all stuff that God is not. In fact, God makes it very clear that the world that he is now creating, this stuff is not in that either, which bothers me because some of that stuff is still in me. Sometimes I can get bitter. I can become anxious. I can become unforgiving. And what do I do with that? Because if God is creating a world where that is not allowed, that is not part of him, how do I get there? The first century church had this great thing they called the gospel, which in our language means the good news. And the good news was this, that life doesn't have to stay the way it's been. Just get in Jesus. And the word is in Jesus. Paul said it's called reconciliation. That comes from two words meaning to change the relationship. So Paul describes it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Scotty, it's good to have you in the front row because you've been out leading worship elsewhere, and so now I get to pick on you again. So Scotty, have, have you ever had any, in, inside of you any bitterness, misery, worry, frustration, harshness, evil, dishonesty, violence, or indulgence? You say all of them. No, no, you didn't say that. All of that stuff can't be in the kingdom of God. So what God said is, I got this great idea. Here's what I will do. And so if you, if you look at these crosses on the wall, they represent that, that 2,000 years ago, Jesus was executed, and it was for a purpose. That all the stuff that Scotty just admitted could be inside of his life at some point, at that moment 2,000 years ago, all of that was placed on Jesus. Now understand that if Scotty keeps that in his life, he can't get in the world that God's creating. And we know this because when that stuff that Scotty had in his life was placed on Jesus, Jesus couldn't get in God's world because listen to what he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? At that moment that Jesus died, in the temple where, where they would come to try to reconcile with God on a short-term basis. There was in that place a, a place called the Holy of Holies where God's very presence was, and nobody could go in there except the high priest who was worthy at that moment. Separating everybody else was this big veil that said, God's world and your world are separate. When Jesus died, 
that veil was ripped from top to bottom. God ripped it. And he said to all of those around and to Scotty, come to my world. For your old life is dead. It went down with Jesus in the grave. And a new life has come. Now, let me describe this new life because sometimes we don't believe it. But the new life is this. New desires, new abilities, and new fuel. New ways to be fueled for life. So I come back to where we left off last week and is the center of our, our conversations in these, these weeks about how love works. And Paul says to the church in Galatia, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So those former passions and desires may say to Scotty, Scotty, go back and do this. And Scotty says, no, 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 no. Jesus died. He took that stuff, and it's dead. So the way that I crucify that, the way that Scotty crucifies that, it says, I reckon and I recognize that it was already done. It's a done deal. Paul says, let it be crucified. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, meaning simply that get in Jesus, and it's, it's, a, it's called a locative verb, to be with him, to walk with him, to be in him. It's a locative verb. It means location. It's a sphere. And I get inside of Jesus, and he surrounds me, and now I keep in step with him, not in step with the stuff that's already been dead, been killed. So I, I had a friend in high school. His name was Bruce, and Bruce got in Jesus. He was, he was a hard partier and, and a pretty nasty guy. And he got in Jesus, and, and his life changed. His desires changed. His abilities changed. And everybody recognized the change. But a year later, he was back in it again. So I got with him and said, Bruce, what's going on with you? And he said this to me. He said, look, I gave my life to Jesus, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 my faith is in him, and he changed my desires, and right now I have a desire to be drunk on the weekends, and if he doesn't want it there, he'll take the desire out. See, somewhere we get mixed up, and we think that when we put our faith in Jesus and we're in Jesus, that Jesus says to us, hey, go sit in your barca lounger and rest, and I'll clean the dishes. We think that he says, you just cool it, and I will pour into you the evidence of being in me. And Paul describes the evidence in Galatians 5.22, for he says, but the evidence, the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some of us sit here today and, and we say, how come I'm still tempted to do the stuff that messed me up so badly? Why? We want to say to God, what's taking you so long to get that stuff out of me? And I think at that very moment, Jesus is saying to you, what's taking you so long to get that stuff out of you? In fact, if this whole thing was just God doing it, then he wouldn't say, I'm giving you self-control. There's something in you that I need for you to control. Why would he say to us, you need to crucify the flesh and its desires. I was watching television the other night, and I was watching Running Wild with Bear Grylls. You know who he is? He's, he's there with, you see the, on, on the screen, Channing Tatum, a really ugly man. 
And he takes, he takes these celebrities and they go out into a survivalist thing and he teaches them to repel and he teaches them to jump out of helicopters and he teaches them how to live off the land and how to eat really gross stuff. And, and, and he, so he teaches them all that stuff. And in this, in this one scene, and it's happening right there, what they're pointing to is a rattlesnake. And Barrett Gorilla says, we've got to get that and kill that thing, and then we're going to eat it. So Channing Tatum tries to get it, and it, it doesn't, it, 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 he doesn't do very good, and it starts after him, and, and Barrett Gorilla goes after him, and he, he pins the thing, and then there's a scene where Barrett Gorilla has his foot over the snake's head, pins him down, and says, now get the weapon and, and cut off the head. And so... Tatum gingerly walks up and kind of puts his foot there too and, and slices off the head. And then they eat the thing. Hmm. When Paul says you need to crucify the flesh, those former things that were so dangerous to you that have poisoned you, understand that Jesus has already pinned the head of the enemy down, and now what you've got to do is say, I agree with that, and I'm with you standing there on his head, and I'm going to do what I have to do to slice that off so that it doesn't have access to me any longer. So in another city, in another church, I had a friend come in one day, and he said, I, I got to talk to you. He said, I think I'm becoming an alcoholic. And I said, well, tell me why. He said, well, it's becoming more and more, and my family's beginning to notice the difference in me, and I realize I can't really go a night without drinking. And I said, well, tell me your pattern. He says, well, I'm a construction worker, and I'm out on the job site. And about mid-afternoon, we all break out some beers, and I start drinking, and I drink some more, and I drink some more. And then, and then when I get off around 3.30 or 4, I, I head to this local tavern, and I have some more to drink. And on the way home, I stop and pick up a six-pack, and I go home, and I finish that off. And so we began to talk about what he should do. And, and so we came to this conclusion, among other things. He said, okay, here's the deal. Do you have somebody that you work with that you trust as a good friend? And he said, well, yeah. And I said, okay, will you give him permission that any time you pick up a cold one at the job site, he'll walk by and in a very nonchalant way take it from you? Will you give him permission to do that, to violate your personal space and do that? He said, yeah. I said, and then when you get off work, instead of going to the tavern, you're not too far, it's not too far for you to drive. Come here to, to this church building and just stop by and, and tell my secretary you said hi to me. And then I want you to just go into the chapel for about 15 minutes, and I just want you to talk to God. And then I want you to go straight home with the idea of the first thing you're going to do is play with your kids and love your wife and, and do a family activity for the night. Can you do that? He said, I'll give it a shot. So that's, that's what he did. He began to do that thing. And, and, and once in a while, he faltered, but then he got back up. And within about six months, he'd begun to become free of that because what he was in the process of doing was cutting the head off that thing, killing that thing. Getting in with Jesus requires walking with Jesus so that when the Spirit of God that you're walking in says, we're going to go this way, and a desire says, you're going to go this way. Because understand that when he said, walk with the Spirit, it is, a, it is a military term. It means to get into formation and keep cadence. That when the Spirit of God says, we're walking this way, you stay with him in cadence. And when this other, this, this other craving says, no, we're going to go do this thing we used to do, 
The Spirit of God will say, all right, we're going to stop and we're going to cut the head off this thing. Let's do this. Let's kill this thing. And then we're going to move this way where the presence of God continues to nurture you and grow you and make you the person you've always wanted to be. Follow me and I will take you there. Getting in requires walking with Jesus. You say, but that's a hard thing. That's why Paul called it a war. He said, because these cravings are going to go back and forth inside of you. And the question is, who are you listening to? Because you've got this self-control thing within you which says, as I'm walking this direction and this craving says go this way, the self-control says, okay, I'm going to only feed my mind what the Holy Spirit says is good for me. I'm going to tell my emotions that I'm taking control of them and not follow just my emotions. Jeremiah, the prophet, said that the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. If you just follow your emotions, they'll take you the wrong way. He said, I'm going to control my will and tell my will what the Spirit of God has said, and we're going to choose to go that direction. It is a warfare. You say, but I would rather just sit back and have Jesus just change me. That's why people go to revivals. If, if I can just get touched and, and fall over with the Spirit of God on me, I'll be a changed person. No, no, no. It, you may start a change, but this all whole thing replies to you. You've, you've got to change because, because there's a transformation taking place in you. He said, but I would just rather that God would just, just, just come in and just change me and, and we'll, we'll, we'll sing praise songs and, and, and it'll be lovely and I'll be a saint and I'll be great. Because I'm, I'm a pacifist. I don't like war. I like the story of the Quaker who's a pacifist and everybody knows he's a pacifist. He does nothing violent. He owns no weapons. But his house gets broken in two or three times because he figured it out. The guy who's breaking in knows that he's a pacifist and he won't do anything. One night he hears somebody downstairs again. He knows it's the burglar. To his, his wife's surprise, suddenly he reaches under the bed and pulls out a shotgun. She's startled and he sneaks down. The guy's not thinking he's going to come down because he knows he's a pacifist. He sneaks up next to the burglar. Jackson, a, a, a shell into the chamber and the guy's startled. And, and the pacifist is holding the gun like this. He says, pardon me, but thou art standing where I'm about to shoot. <laughs> Paul says, there are things that want to come back in your life, and you're going to have to kill them. You're going to have to crucify the flesh. You say, I've tried that thing, and, and, and I've really worked hard at it at times, and then sometimes I've not been really good at it, and I messed up so badly, and I'm pretty well a figure that God has already packed up and left me because I've, I've just messed up so badly. I have felt that way before. I've been so hard on myself at times that when I blow it, I, I, I put myself in time out and just say, God doesn't want anything to do with me for a while. So let me read to you one of the most common descriptions of the God who surrounds you in this place today is by the prophet Joel, and he says this. To the children of Israel, he says, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. The prophet is talking to Israel who has messed up a lot, and they've done it again, and they've cried out, and Joel comes to them and says, God wants you back home. He really does. But why would he want me? Well, because he's gracious. That word gracious is that word we've, we've talked about before, which means for someone with superior 
who is superior, going to someone who is inferior, and to bend down to them in order to give them favor. Yeah, I don't deserve it, but here he comes, and he gives me favor. For he is gracious and merciful. Merciful means to be packed with compassion. Just, just, just totally filled with compassion. It's like, it's like when you bit into that jelly donut and it just squirted everywhere. It's just, it's just packed. He said he is slow. That word slow literally means long. It's long. Really, really long. Long to anger. That word anger actually literally translated means to be huffy. It means to be, you, 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 Scotty? He said it's long before God gets to you and says, that's it, that's it, that's it I'm, just, I'm fed up with you. It's a long time before it gets there. He spills over in his steadfast love. Steadfast means there is no vanishing point. So that he sighs in pity over the disaster you're creating for yourself. That is a picture of what we would call patience. And walking with Jesus comes seated with patience. It's already in you. Patience with yourself. Some of you are your worst enemy in this place. You still condemn yourself for things that God forgave you for long ago. You blew it this week, and, and you, have, you put yourself in timeout, and, and you, you want to do penance over and over and over and over again. And my question is, when is it enough? And usually if you're that way with yourself, you're that way with other people too. So I'm going to invite you today to quit asking for patience. It's already in you. Start watering the seed. How do you do that? Paul describes it this, this way to the church in Colossae. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Now, the thing about Paul the apostle is he never knew where to put a period. That man could just write long, long ideas that you look at and go, what did you just say? Take me back to Jesus loves me, this I know. How many of you are, are followers of Jesus? You put your faith in him. So, so Kate, if, if Paul the Apostle had known you and known that you'd put your faith in Jesus, he'd say, Kate, I am immediately and continuously praying this for you. Number one, that you'll be filled with knowledge. That word knowledge means to, to grasp hold firmly to penetrate deeply, to enter every facet, nook and cranny of it till you possess it and it possesses you. You become one with the object studied so that it invades. Kate said it invades your daydreams. It invades your plans for this week. 
It invades your checkbook. It invades your, your, your calendar. It invades your dating life. It invades what makes your heart race. Every bit of your emotions, that knowledge would invade you to that degree because you have immersed yourself in knowing him. It's the same word that, that would be used in the Old Testament for when Adam and Eve came together and it said they knew each other. It is that deep intimacy. Not, not just a one-night stand and not just uh, a couple people on their honeymoon. It means such a depth. In this, in, in this instance, such a depth. It's like somebody who's been married and they're celebrating their 50th anniversary and they're still having fun and they're still holding hands and they're still in love and they're still excited about each other and he still shops at Victoria's Secret for her and she still brings it back, that thing. <laughs> that kind of deep love. That, that they still can't believe that each other loves them that much. So Paul says, what I want you to do and I'm praying for is that you will tear into how much God loves you as revealed by Jesus. And I mean, how do you do that? There's some, just some practical ways. Number one, what you did this morning, you express yourself through worship to him because he said, I, I come and establish my throne of power upon those praises so that I can reveal myself to you as you worship. You want to know Jesus? You want to know Jesus? Stick on some worship music, even at home when no one's around, and just turn it up loud and begin to love him. Whether, whether your style is Jesus culture music or Southern gospel, whatever that is, just, just let it rip and begin to sense who he is. Secondly, take the scriptures and begin to read them. Find a way to study. There's study guides out there. There's wonderful study books because the word of God is his breath. And it's who he is, his expressed image, and you get to know him. Talk to him. Talk, talk about him with your friends. The scripture says this in Malachi, that they were talking about him, and God is recording what was being said. So, so talk to each other about who Jesus is, what's happening in your life with Jesus, and then pray. Talk to God, because it's your expression of intimacy and for you to listen to him, because prayer is also hearing from him. Say, I don't know how to hear him. Look, he's big enough. He can let you know what he's saying. Something will transform you. Something will happen to you as you do this. I'm guaranteeing you this. When you spend enough time trying to know him, to go deep inside of him, something will happen. You'll begin to understand his desires. So Pam and I were some friends recently, and, and we were sitting down in, in our house, and he got up without... Her saying anything, he got up and got her some coffee, made it the way she likes it, brought it back and handed it to her, and she never asked for it. She just smiled because he knows what her desires are, and he knew when she wanted it, and he made it because he just knows and he wanted to give her desires. There's this relationship with God that happens when we begin to understand who he is, we understand his desires. So when we know God, we anticipate his desires because we love him. That's worship. You want to know what worship is? It's more than what you're just saying this morning. It's understanding his desires and going after them. That's worship. Then we look for doing the good thing every time. That's called bearing fruit. And as we bear fruit, our capacity to understand how God acts and the ability to act increases. God's power expands in us as we choose to live a life of, of, of bearing fruit. As we do this thing, as we process through this, we begin to have a greater capacity to know God, to understand God, and to please God. And there's an energy that builds within us to a greater degree the more time we spend with him. 
The knowledge of God is the rain and the sunshine to our growth. You get into God and all the seed that we've read about, all that fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, guidance, gentleness, goodness, self-control, all of that stuff is already seeded in us. And God says, in my presence, I will rain upon you and you will grow. The result is this, no matter how much evil tries to fight us, we now have endurance, which is the capacity to see things all the way through. We'll make it. And we'll have patience which is to be emotionally saturated with love in spite of attack or injury because love works. It's patient. So I had an uncle whose wife had a breakdown and she left him. She didn't leave him geographically, she just left him emotionally and relationally. She moved into her own bedroom, did her own laundry, cleaned just her room, and cooked for herself. You say, did he leave her? No. He was patient. For over 20 years, 20 years he kept being kind and loving her. And once in a while she could maybe receive a little of that love, but most of the time she was just cold. And he continued praying for her. That's what God does for us. Scripture says that right now Jesus is praying for us. Because if we're honest, we'll say that although we want to be with Jesus, there are parts of our life that we want to keep in a separate room that Jesus can't have. And yet he is patient. He's waiting for us. He keeps giving us love. We aren't so patient. We're not patient with ourselves. And part of that problem is that we're not patient with other people. We, 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 we really want God to change us, and it's not happening fast enough, and it scares us because we also want our spouse to change, and that's not happening. And, and so we're wondering when we're going to leave, and we think maybe Jesus would think the same thing about us. We have a middle schooler that, that, that won't change very fast. We're wondering why God won't change him quick enough and, and why they won't change quick enough, and we're losing hope, and we think maybe God's doing the same with us. The question we have to ask really is this. Do we really want speed or do we want thoroughness? One of the dilemmas that America faces here that is actually easier to get past in other parts of the world is Americans are addicted to quick. We like fast. This is deeply embedded in our consciousness because we're a young culture. We're an adolescent culture, a couple hundred years. You know, Something 100 years old here is old. Uh, most of the world that doesn't have that kind of problem. We, we like stuff fast. We, we're terrified that if the bus slows down below 65, it's going to blow up. You know, it's, things have got to be fast to make us feel good about things. And there is a terrible thing that happens when uh, you make a connection between uh, spiritual power and fast. If, if you serve a God that's only capable of doing miracles that happen fast, you have a, a, a shadow of the living and true God. Uh, the living and true God uh, has no problem with stuff that takes time. I mean, if it takes a long time, God has a long track record of working with people on struggles that take a long time. Um, you know, some stuff may take a new heaven and a new earth. But that's not outside of God's plans, of God's time frame. God's, God can work in long term. He's not sitting up in heaven thinking, you're not better yet. We think that about ourselves. We may think about that about other pe people. But God's not into that quick stuff. God is patient, God. He's slow to anger and quick to forgive.
Uh, in spite of our expectations that God might be quick to anger and slow to forgive, it's just the opposite. And that, um, I think in a culture that's really connected to uh, fast and to, to speed, uh, that part is hard. I think we get speed connected with God and think that God likes fast. When God's perfectly contented to, uh, for stuff to take. You know, the, the example I often use has to do with cancer surgery. You got cancer, you go to the surgeon, the surgeon takes the cancer out, and your, your first question is not after the surgery, how long did it take? You ask, did you get it all? No, the, the question is a question about thoroughness, not speed. And I think for stuff spiritual, uh, we need to become the kind of people who ask questions about thoroughness. How deep does this go? Did you get it all? Not just the surface question about how long did you take. You don't want it to take fast if that means it's just a surface change. It's not getting to the substance of things. And uh, if, if we settle for speed, uh, we'll uh, find things just at the surface of things. And we won't, uh, we'll find ourselves later frustrated that this didn't go very deep. Patience understands God's love and doesn't demand speed and only asks for thoroughness. You're impatient with yourself. Maybe it's time that you quit asking God for speed and you ask him and say to him, I, I want you to get it all. Go ahead and, and, and dig down deeper. You want your spouse to change and it's not fast enough. Maybe it's time for you to say, but but however long you need to take, do that because I want you to get it all. You want your middle schooler to change and, and you want it now. Maybe the statement should be, God, whatever it takes, just get it all. See, the patience is already in us. So one day, suddenly my aunt moved back in into my uncle's bedroom, and it was a good thing. Then she switched again and left. But he loved her till he died. How do you do that? Love works even if it takes a new heaven and a new earth. Patience is not dependent on the response of the object loved. Patience is dependent on the giver's love, and that's how God treats us, and that's how we have to treat each other. So how do we do that? Well, let's water the seed. Let's live it out, and, and you've got some suggestions there on your notes, and so let's look at those. How do we live it out? Number one, begin reading the Gospels. Start with, with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and especially John. Journal the answer to these questions. In what I read today, what have I discovered about God's love for me as seen in Jesus? How, 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 do, I see, how, how do I see God loving me the way that Jesus treats people? Because that's for us. Secondly, where in my life is God's love being patient and thorough? You say, oh, you know, I keep blowing it. Well, God's patient. He's going to keep working with you. 
So, so get back up and keep going. I just have such a strong feeling today. And all through this week, I thought I'd be dealing with patience with other people. And I keep feeling like God's saying, you got some people in your community of faith that keep condemning themselves. And God's saying, stop it. Get back up and walk with him. He loves you deeply. He's abundant in love. He's giving you favor. He wants to bless you. And you're refusing it because you're condemning yourself. You're putting yourself in time out. He says, stop it. I'm patient with you. Number three, with whom am I impatient? If I want thoroughness in place of speed, how will my love view that person this week? How will I look at them? Life does not have to be the way it is right now. Let's get into Jesus. Would you stand? So I challenge you as you go from here, don't you walk out and say, hey, that was nice, good music, that was good stuff, let's go eat. I dare you. I double dog dare you to say to the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me about patience? And I would, I would guess that for most of us in this place, the big challenge now will be this. I have to rearrange my schedule so that I can know God's love, that I can really dig into it. Because I'm going to tell you, just coming in here and listening to me speak for a while and singing some songs, you're not going to get it. That's like marrying someone and saying, see you next year. Not going to happen. And may I tell you that as the world gets more corrupt and more violent, the more you know him, the safer you will be and the wiser you will be, and the more discerning of the people around you you will be. The scripture says in the last days, it will become horrible and corrupt. And even the elect, those who know him, can be deceived if they're not careful. So please dig down deep in knowing God, because he wants to show you who he is. So now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Be patient getting out.